Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Epic Human Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Blair, and thanks for listening today. First off, I want to briefly apologize in advance for the sound quality in this episode. I had my high-quality microphone plugged in and ready to go, but I failed to activate it. So this episode was recorded with my laptop microphone, which performed much better than I expected, but leaves a lot to be desired. Apologies, and I hope it's not too much of a distraction. I am excited, though, because today's episode features Sydney Thomas, a venture capital investor and head of operations with Precursor Ventures, a San Francisco-based pre-seed venture firm. Sydney is also the creator and host of the Be About It podcast, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs who are building companies that serve real people. I had the pleasure of first meeting Sydney at an Impact Mafia networking event in Oakland, an event for venture investors who are interested in positively changing the world. When I learned about her podcast, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I had always fantasized about starting a podcast, but it had perpetually seemed like a far-off dream. I figured I needed to first become rich or famous or feel like I'd made it somehow. But sometimes all it takes is getting to know someone who is doing what you'd like to do, and it helps you realize that it is indeed achievable. So I'm incredibly grateful to Sydney for her inspiration, for her guidance, and for her friendship. And it's my great pleasure to feature her on today's podcast and learn more about her life. So without further delay, please give it up for an epic human, Sydney Thomas. Hello, world, and welcome to the Epic Human Podcast. I'd like to welcome my guest, Sydney Thomas. Uh, Sydney is an investment associate and head of operations at, here at Precursor Ventures, a pre-seed firm based in San Francisco. Thank you, Sydney, for being with me today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, so I think um, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of things, but I want to start by uh, just asking you about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid? Yeah, so I'm from San Diego, California. Born and raised, entire life, 18 years, well, entire childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I like as a child? I was, so I went back to my elementary school recently, and I talked to my art teacher, and mm-hmm. she's like, you were just always an old soul. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good way to characterize. Like, I wasn't really that amused by things that were happening in like any grade and I was kind of like (laughs) I'm here to do my stuff I'm here to make a few friends and then I'm here to leave (laughs) so and and what was your uh, family life like oh amazing I love my I mean it's my mom my dad and my sister from my immediate family I'm the oldest my sister's two years younger than me Mm -hmm. and my mom stayed at home with my sister and I. My dad is a kidney doctor, so he was always, always, always at work. Mm. But I had, like, the best childhood. I loved it. It was so chill. Like, mm. mom loved hanging out with us, <laughs> yeah. which I don't think is true of all stay-at-home moms. It makes sure. them like, okay, like, I'm done. It's very and true. mom probably... My mom probably also felt that way sometimes, but she never showed it. Uh-huh. And so it just felt like a super caring, um, very hands-on relationship that I had with my mom. Mm. And uh, so I was actually born in San Diego. No way. Little known fact. I didn't know. Yeah, on a uh, military base in Oceanside. Oh, cool. And um, 
so, but I, I, I moved before I was like, uh, had memories, but, uh, but I went, I've gone back to San Diego a couple times. I lived there for a summer. Anyway, nice. the weather is just unbelievably perfect, um, all the time. Like what's it like growing up like that? And then visiting other parts of the world and just that, that compare and contrast. You know, I just had this realization this morning that uh-huh. part of the reason why I lived in New York for five years and yeah. part of the difficulty of my life there was that I am such a sun child. Mm. Like, I rise with the sun. I go to sleep with the sun. I've never liked evenings. I've always loved mornings. Mm. That's just who I am. Yeah. And so being in places where there is no sun for months on end is like literally draining mm-hmm. to me. So yeah. it sucks. I also studied abroad in Scotland, and it was a similar thing where I actually really loved Scotland. I think it's an amazing country, and the culture is super cool. But by November, when it, the sun was setting at 2 p.m., it was just like, it was so hard. Mm. So uh, that's just like, my personality is, um, or I guess my gravitation is always towards the sun. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I remember that I was living there for a summer, and uh, like it was... It, for I'd say the first half of the summer, I was just, like, in, in heaven yeah. every day. And then, like, after a while, like, it, it was strange. Like, it became, like, I, I would go outside and be like, oh, it's sunny again. Like, yep. it was just, it, it, it almost became, uh, like, I was almost, like, bored of the sun after a while. Um, no. I know. I say that, like, cautiously because <laughs> I think, because then I moved to other places like Vancouver and, and, and even here where I just, I just, I'm the same way. I just value the sun uh, so much and I'm so much more appreciative of it. Um, so, so maybe tell us about uh, after you left San Diego, where'd you go to school? Uh, take us forward. Yeah. So I went to Duke undergrad and so I was in North Carolina for four years. And it was a really interesting time to be there. I got in right after the lacrosse case became a thing. And so I remember actually my family reunion, like my uncles were all just like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so, and I still decided to go. I did not cancel my admission or any of that stuff. Right. And so I spent, I feel like it was a lot of just like self-reflection for four years. It was Mm -hmm. a lot of like taking classes that, because when I came in, I also thought I wanted to do this one major or anthropology, and I got there, and I was like, actually, I don't think I want to do anthropology, and I don't know what I want to do. Mm. And so there's just a lot of this process of elimination, like what really speaks to me being Sydney, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I know I don't want to do kind of like these boxed things that my parents think are the only options for me to do, like Mm. being a lawyer or a doctor, Mm -hmm. but I don't really know what else there is. Yeah. And so it was a lot of that. So, you know, a little painful, but I think very, very valuable in that I came out on the other end like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. And granted that changed, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I had done enough research that I was very grounded in my decision. And what was the decision? What was your major? Yeah, so my major was public policy. I love, love, loved it. And my minor was in African and African American studies. And so combining the two was just awesome for me because I've always been this systems thinker. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to have that systems thinking like feedback from public policy, which I thought was much more systems and like thinking than even like a poli sci major where you're just kind of thinking about like 
and I, ideologies and like in theory and public policy is like what actually happened why did it happen how can we replicate or change that mm-hmm. and then with the African and African American studies minor I was able to like influx that with things that I was particularly excited about so like with regards to the civil rights movement why did that happen mm-hmm. with regards to mass incarceration why is that happening and mm-hmm. so it was really fun just kind of like have that juxtaposition or layered experience of these different perspectives. Hmm. And then post, I went into government. And so, so just real quick, oh, I, yeah. I just have a, a burning question in my yeah. mind. Um, might not go anywhere, but yeah. what what did, what attracted you initially to anthropology, and then what made you decide to switch? Yeah, so I think what attracted me to anthropology was still the base level things that I got out of public policy in African American yeah. studies, which was like, why do humans do what they do? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> They're so weird. Yeah. <laughs> and all these civilizations are so random. Like, how did this happen? Right. There's and a common thread there. Exactly. But then what was what was not so attractive about it? I think they still focus so much on theory. I did a study abroad in Ghana mm. with my anthropology, with an anthropo- anthropologist as the teacher who was, like, the, I guess, I don't know. The person who goes along with kids on trips for study abroad. Yeah. And I just remember being so unsatisfied with, like, the, the decisions he would come to. I'm like, okay, this is... It felt like I was missing a piece of the puzzle. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is why people do what they do. But then there's also a huge... A big piece of this, which are structures that we're not really talking about, that mm-hmm. also influence how people move and operate. It's not always just like a biogenetic thing that makes mm-hmm. someone do something differently than somebody else. It's an incentive that was created by the government. Gotcha. Hence the yeah. policy and like the, the shift from more theoretical and uh, to more current and, and modern and practical. Uh, Okay, that's really interesting. And so then you uh, you went into government. I went into right? government. Yes. Okay, tell me about it's like that. The belly of the beast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I realized was that it was not as clean as I thought it would be. I guess on paper I was like, oh, okay, government does this because of this, and then they do that, and it's all within like a two-year time frame or like a six-month thing, and that's just things happen. Always, things are happening. Right. And I got there, and I was like, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like people are running around saying things are happening, but I'm not seeing this bill that I'm working on getting passed. Mm. And that's what frustrated me. Mm-hmm. And so I was working on the on a federal piece of legislation, didn't get passed, got bored. And then I was like, okay, well, uh, who is doing stuff? And so worked on a programming team. So essentially people were implementing pilot programs of that same bill in different cities and did that for about a year and I similarly realized like this is also really cool but I still don't feel like I'm doing the most impact as possible Mm -hmm. and so transitioned into a separate role whereas kind of straddling these two different worlds between the public world and the private world to try and see how those together could make things go faster Mm -hmm. and be larger scale and got really excited about that work and so started kind of getting a 
insight into the private sector world for my first time mm. and saw just how many opportunities there were in that space mm -hmm. and decided to go back to business school to really give myself even more time to learn up and understand like what is happening in this side of the pond because I didn't really know and even really like allow myself to explore it in college because I was like, oh, business people are so evil. <laughs> <laughs> right. I never want to be in business. I, I'm going to the government where exactly. people are, are good. <laughs> exactly. And they are. And a they lot are. More. Yeah, right. And like, but it's, it's a grind. And Is, I was like. What's, what, what, why doesn't, why don't more, why doesn't more get done? Yeah. I think it's because of a good thing, which okay. is that they don't want one person to co-opt an entire, they don't want authoritarianism. Right. And so they've been, they've created all of these buffers to prevent that by any means necessary. Mm. And what then they prevent are all of these sub pieces, which is a lot of it's that innovation. Like you, you need to test something at least full with a little bit of, and have a little bit of conviction once you've tested that thing right. to see if it could be an improvement to society. And so I think that's the, that's kind of the, the, I guess, missed opportunity where the innovation isn't able to get done because we're afraid of any change being widespread change without the input of everyone. Mm. So I think that's a, that's a, I don't know what the right word is, but they're in conflict. Yeah. I think they're naturally in conflict. And so it's really just like finding that balance that's really hard. Gotcha. So it's necessarily slow and can head in the right direction theoretically, but um, you have to you have to have the right kind of personality maybe mm -hmm. to, to be able to, I don't know, have that kind of patience. I, I wouldn't really have that patience. Uh, uh, it's so, so then you went to business school and, and, and interacted with all the bad people. And, yes. and what, did you, what did you discover during <laughs> that time? They're not all bad. Okay. <laughs> and I also went to Berkeley, which is like the place where I think everyone, at least they say this on the brochures, and when you get there, it's actually true. It's like everyone's actually interested in how the, what they're doing or what they might want to do impacts society or impacts other people. Mm -hmm. They're just very conscientious citizens. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome for me. I wanted to go somewhere where people really understood like how and cared about how what they did um, had a ripple effect. Right. And so it was really cool to go somewhere where all my colleagues did. And I felt like it was a place where I was able to make some amazing friends, which I was not expecting out of mm -hmm. business school, mm -hmm. and uh, build relationships with folks who I really just admired and thought were doing awesome stuff. Yeah. And uh, and that was your first time in the Bay Area, That right? was my first time in the Bay. Okay. Okay. And back to California. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and so what did you, like, what did you... I guess what was your thesis going into business school in terms of how you wanted to shift your career and then and then how did that manifest, you know, whether directly or indirectly? Yeah. So it was wildly different. Okay. What I thought I wanted to do going into business school was work in a consumer packaged good, goods company because when I was my last position where I was doing that public private stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of the private companies we were working with were those who had physical goods because those are the ones who really care really understood the value of a brand and mm -hmm. how consumers per 
perspectives or perceptions of that brand influence your bottom line. And so they wanted to improve their brand by working with public government. And in our case, it was specifically with the education system okay. and kids to build their brand. And they're like, oh, okay, well, they get it. So, and I know what I want to do is with people who get it. Right, right. <laughs> so then I should work for one of them. Right. And right. so it was like a somewhat logical. But then I started interning at CPG companies once I got here. And I was like, actually, this is not going to work. I started working out a few. And I was like, the vast majority of them are just so... Okay, that's a very stupid statement. There, was a, there were some that I just thought had a long way to go. They were also coming up against this innovation versus authoritarianism like thing right. in these large companies. Right. Because I think there are a lot of similarities between really large companies and the government. And so, and I was like, this isn't what I want. I left this on purpose. And so started going smaller and smaller and smaller in companies that I started interning for. And the smallest company that I interned for was called Soma Water, which is a CPG company, but also a tech company based mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Go. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get more insight into what those, it was like 10 people at the time were doing, which was awesome. But then also, because it was so small, I got a lot of visibility to the board mm -hmm. and to the investors. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. But investors get to do this like on like a crazy scale. Like mm -hmm. they get to help us figure it out and work and make an impact. But they also have this huge opportunity to create other ecosystems that are making an impact all over the world and I was like, that's what I want to do yeah. and so that was I came into that decision super late in the game like second semester second year and luckily I was running around enough that somehow a cold email to Frida K. Poor actually resulted in a response mm. and she introduced me to my current boss which is Charles Hudson at Precursor Ventures. I, I had kind of a similar experience at the first startup I worked at where I like met these like venture capitalists. I'm like, so wait, what do you guys do? Like, <laughs> Is this <a> joke? <laughs> to me at the time they were like like superheroes or something. Yeah. I was, was like, wait a second, you just you just kinda come in and you, you make an investment and then you go do this for a whole nother company and wait, how does this work? And uh, it, it's it's just funny the context of, of when you when you first experience something like that, um, versus now it's like our everyday and it's normal. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you met Charles and and uh, when and when was this? this and when did was, you start? So I kind of stalked him for a while. Mm -hmm. So she introduced me to him in I think maybe like April of 2016, so right before I graduated. Mm -hmm. And I was taking an internship or like a part-time job with another in startup that was also a CPG company and had some tech infused into it and I really liked what they were doing too but they were a startup so they couldn't afford to hire me full-time I was like I don't care what you guys are doing <laughs> and at the but I was also like I also would love to work with Charles part-time too during this time when I actually have this freedom to do that sure and so I just kept calling him <laughs> like every couple of months. I was like, hey, so I heard like maybe you were hiring and like I now have your phone number. And so <laughs> eventually he, allowed, he agreed to let me hang out part-time towards the end of 2016. I started working at Precursor in August 2016. Okay. So I was doing both 
jobs, which was like actually two full time jobs because they're both startups. So like, yeah. it's just a ridiculous life. Sure. And so did worked with him until the end of 2016 and got the offer to start full time in 2017. By that time, I realized like. The other startup I was working with, I thought what they were doing was still really awesome, Mm -hmm. but they needed, they didn't, I don't think I could give them exactly what they needed, Mm -hmm. which was a liaison between the board and the company, because Mm -hmm. they were just having like a lot of, they had raised a lot of money from a lot of different people, Mm -hmm. and so they just had a lot of communication stuff that needed to be managed. I was like, well, that's not my skill set, and so, and Working with Charles is awesome because it's literally just the two of us, so then I can do kind of, like, anything. Yeah. And so, I was like, sounds great. Sure. Sign me up. So, tell me about the firm. Tell me about yeah. what you guys do, and, and then and then later, like, what you do day yeah. to day. Yeah. So, Precursor Ventures is a pre-seed investment firm. So, we're investing in companies, I like to say, pre-everything. And so it's like literally, like they have an idea and a vision, a dollar and a dream. And so we invest in that dream with conviction, with our average check size is about $250,000, and use that to help them get to their next stage. And sometimes that's six months from now, and that's like a launch, and then we can invest more and start helping them interact with other investors to help them bring it on even more capital. And sometimes it's like they, in six months, they realize they want to pivot, and they keep working heads down for the next year or so. And like, cool, that was awesome too. Now what you've pivoted to is even better, and we're excited to back you mm-hmm. and um, still introduce you to other investors. And so really it's just like the first check. Whatever your, like, I guess, like, perception of a first check investor is, that's what we try to do. And so um, we invest in about 20 companies a year, and we are on fund two now. And so it's like, yeah, it's like it's still a startup, but I guess it's not anymore. It's like one of those, I don't know what you call it. But still, just two of us. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of companies. It's in a, a lot year. of companies yeah. between yeah. two people. It's a lot, and so it's a lot of meetings. Um, so <laughs> I guess getting into my day to day, it's a yeah. lot of meetings. It's a lot of like managing my inbox. A lot of um, like making sure that our portfolio gets what they need. Mm. Um, we have we have them all on their Slack channel, and so I get pings. Like this morning, was answering like ping after ping after ping. Like mm. hey. We actually were thinking of using this service instead of this one. What do you think? And do we have a connection there? Mm -hmm. And I'm now also starting to look at another software altogether to manage like an online wiki page for our founders to have more like in a space to hold all of the quality information that they share with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Then also I had a pitch with a woman today. I went to Google Demo Day today, and so it's just kind of like, it's kind of just a lot, mm-hmm. and so just, but it's fun. It's like every couple of minutes, you're putting on a different hat, you're doing something different, and that's that's my favorite work, where it's just always, I really like autonomy. It's mm-hmm. kind of like doing my own thing, right? And I also really like doing a lot of things. So yeah. I've been able to pick up, you know, some additional things along the way too, like. I've, Launched this one of color in VCs like 
community where mm-hmm. we do dinners. We just had one of our dinners last night at Cape Cod Capital mm-hmm. and doing some more small group dinners with friends of mine in BC. And then also um, joining the board of Next Gen, which is a community of young BCs. And so it's just like, just catch, just going. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're really good at that. Um, and in fact, we met at a VC networking event, and then uh, and then you invited me to a dinner, and that's when I learned a, b- a bit more about you and and a bit about your podcast. Yeah. And maybe you could tell us about the Be About Be About It podcast. That's so true. I forgot to mention that too. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you do do a lot. <laughs> so Be About It podcast is, you know, what I realized is one of my most motivating like emotions is anger. Okay. And so Be <laughs> came out of an anchor. I never would have uh, guessed that because you're I such know. a delightful person. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. But anger anger motivates you. So so how did, how did that uh, motivate you in this case? Yes. So I was just angry with the types of companies that people kept writing about. Mm. And I'm like, this is, all these companies are boring. I don't really resonate with any of them. Like, can we write about stuff or people who are doing awesome stuff? Because they exist. I know they do. And so I, I think once I dug into that a little more, I realized that my anger was not just with like this vast generalization of tech. It was really like the types of companies and the markets that these companies were targeting that was really upsetting to me. And I realized that I was much more interested in companies that were serving the like, everyday person. And so I define that as an, a person who's making under $100,000 a year, which is... 80% of the United States. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I developed an investment thesis around this where I was like, I know these I know these companies exist. I know they could do well. Some of the awesome ones who have done well is Gusto, for example. They serve small businesses that are not like the Googles of the world to help them mm-hmm. grow. Mm-hmm. Um, Etsy is another one that I really love where they're serving small also, like, sole proprietorships, like someone, a mom or a dad who's just, or person yep. who's building something in their backyard and wants to get money for it because it's amazing. Yeah. And so I was like, how do I make sure these businesses are getting profiled? And so that's how I came up with the idea of Be About It. And so on it, I interview company, interview founders who are at the earliest stages. So they're super, super early. They don't, they're not, like, hat yet. Mm-hmm. And but I think what they're doing, they're on to something really exciting. Yeah. And so I interview them and help kind of broadcast them to the world to make sure that other folks know that entrepreneurship isn't just what TechCrunch writes for. And you know, TechCrunch has great articles sometimes. <laughs> so I don't want to hate on them too bad. Yeah. But it's not just what you see on Twitter. It's actually like a lot of folks who have like five followings on Twitter, but are doing awesome stuff on their real job which is a startup building in um like minneapolis minnesota or oakland or the south bay or florida yeah yeah um so first off i'm a big believer in this thesis as well uh and uh our firm is investors in gusto so just want to mention we did not pay you to say that (laughs) um but uh but do appreciate it and yeah, I mean, well, first off, I, I love the podcast. I listen, as you know, I listen to uh, all of them, and uh, I think you do a really great job with it. Um, I guess my my question, just for you, is um, in starting this podcast, 
you went into it probably with a certain set of expectations. How were those expectations not met, whether you know it was kind of on the positive side or the negative side or just how, how has the experience of podcasting been for you personally? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say they've not been met by, I guess, I thought that once I started the podcast that it would be so easy to find other people who fit this thesis that, like, hmm. oh, once I get one episode out, all of these entrepreneurs who are doing stuff that I've talked about in my podcast will just come to me. Sure. And <laughs> they are busy building. And so they're not flocking to me, which is right. totally fair. <laughs> and so it's been a lot more outbound than I thought it would be, which is not a bad thing. Like, it's been actually really fun to do that again that's like I'm not afraid of that cold emailing people who I think are awesome and so it's been a lot of that or finding a like second or third um, mutual connection to that person who I can then ask for an intro to this other person and so that's been harder it's just taking more time mm-hmm. of mine to find people and invest in um, making sure that I develop those relationships I would say the flip side of that is something that I thought that has gone much better than I thought would have. Maybe that is something that has gone much better than I expected. Mm-hmm. Is it's been like you know once you get going, it's actually pretty easy to do it. Right. You know, like <laughs> I actually was like, oh man, this is gonna be so hard because everyone says it's like. Nobody really says it, but you just assume anything new is going to be so hard. Yeah. And it's actually, like, it is hard, but it's not impossible. And, like, once you figure out your rhythm and get the right people to work with you, like, it's actually totally doable. Like, and so that's been really awesome. Um, just have, like, a really good, I have a great producer. Um, my designer was amazing. And um, it's been, it's been doable. Yeah. I would I would share that uh, that sentiment. Uh, well, so first off, I should mention at that first dinner we had together, uh, group dinner, uh, when you were talking about your podcast, that that was a big inspiration for me personally because it was the first time I'd known someone personally who had started a podcast, and to me it had always been this far off thing that only celebrities do. Yeah. And then when when I met you and you were doing, it, I thought, well, maybe it's maybe it's not something I need to do. I need to do in like five ten years. Maybe I could do it now. Um, and so thank you for the inspiration, but also thank you for the, the practical advice along the way. And I agree, like I, my goal for this podcast was like, I'm going to try to do four this year. That's awesome. Like, and I'm, I'm already at double that in terms of what I've recorded. And, uh, it, it, it does take far less time, uh, once you get it all set up, uh, and effort than I would have thought. And so uh, this pace is just been way faster than I, I expected but it's mainly just because it's fun and mm-hmm. it's um it's, true. it's enjoyable um what have you learned kind of about yourself uh from podcasting mm. uh, or or how has it helped you like in any personal way yeah that's um, a good question something that I learned about myself and I guess I already knew this mm. it's not new news but it's just true mm. is that I'm not the best researcher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So a lot of times I'll like it. I'll look at these people's profiles and I'm like, oh man, this person's awesome. I'm going to interview them. Then I get in touch with them and we schedule time. And I've just forgotten about it until like literally two minutes before I'm scheduled to interview them. And I'm like, oh shoot. Yeah. I know this person is awesome because I reached out to them. Right. I know what they do generally, but I don't know who they are. And that's been something that I think I've gotten feedback most recently about. I was like, actually, you should probably just, like, figure out, like, why you want to talk to them, like, before you talk to them. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're so right. I actually should. And I think, actually, I mentioned before we started recording that one of my best episodes, I didn't realize why it was so good, but actually, I kind of know it was an episode of somebody who I have been, like, stalking for years. Mm. I've been wanting to talk I've been wanting to talk to this person literally like since I was in business school. Mm. I've always thought what he was building was awesome. Oh, cool. And so I think that really came out in the podcast in a way that it doesn't always in others. Sure. Even though I think the other people are just as awesome. I just haven't researched them for two years. <laughs> and so I think, you know, trying to do that better on a more structured timeline. So maybe research them for like an hour at least. <laughs> And so that's been something that I'm learning about myself. I just, I just love doing things like in the moment. And I think that's like a really good thing for a lot of what I do. Because that means I don't overthink things. I'm a doer. Right. But that also means that when I do need to sometimes overthink things, I don't, I need to take that step and like actually force myself to be like, okay, Sydney, like what's, what, what are you doing? Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. Adjust that dial slightly. Exactly. Um, in the other direction. Yeah, I, I had a podcast recently where the night before the podcast, um, the person's partner sent me just a list of all this, like, wonderful dirt on the person. Not real, not real dirt, but it's just, like, ask him about, you know, this time when he was in high school and he did this crazy thing. And so I was able to throw those out in the podcast and... and and the guy who's interview was just like, whoa, I guess you've been talking to some people. Uh, so it is, it can be useful. That's awesome. Uh, so we're going to jump to the rapid fire section. Uh, and first, uh, inquiring minds want to know. What's up? What do you do for fun? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> that's actually hard to answer. I, I, I think I remember you saying something about dance. You oh, yeah, dance. I do dance. You're right. <laughs> I love dancing. That's what I do. So I remember this class. It's Nevis de Wietzel. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She's a dance instructor in Berkeley, um, does Afro-Brazilian dance. She's mm-hmm. been, this is her life's work. She's absolutely brilliant. And she has these two-hour-long dance classes that will leave you just, like, in shambles on both Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings. And it literally makes my whole week when I'm able to go. Wow. Awesome. That research paid off. Uh, (laughs) What what in your life has been your favorite mistake? Uh, And by that, I mean, like, a negative experience, whether it was, like, something you you did or a mistake you made or just something bad that happened to you that ended up benefiting you kind of down the road? Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's a good one. Favorite mistake? Hmm. I mean, I think I would say, so other people wouldn't, some people would call this mistake, which is just like not getting into tech quicker. 
Mm. I think a lot of people who are here have been here in this ecosystem for decades, and I am not. I've got. I've been here for a year and a half, mm -hmm. and I think it's been amazing because I'm able to like create all create all of these parallels between like what is going on here versus what is going on in New York versus in government versus what is going on in DC in nonprofit or education mm -hmm. or finance more generally. And so I have this, I was able to have this completely different lived experience that I think is just so, sometimes feels like a burden, but I think more oftentimes than not feels like a huge blessing because I'm then able to have this perspective that a lot of my colleagues aren't. That's a great answer. <laughs> uh, I feel that way sometimes, like coming from more of like a engineering, like not not computer science, but like like mechanical engineering, industrial tech, like having worked on factory floors. Like um, sometimes, you know, especially in the early days when I was like applying for VCs, they're like, what, you're not, you, you don't have a CS degree? Like, what do you, why would anyone hire you? Um, but now it's, you know, I, I do think there's there's value to that. Um, so anyway, I, I share that, that kind of idea. Uh, what is your most unpopular opinion? Oh my God, I have so many. Oh, good. This will be easy. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. Uh, Might be hard to pick one. It'll be hard to pick one. It'll be hard to pick one. Um... I mean, I guess it's getting more popular now, so maybe I won't say that one. Cause that one's just like, you know, San Francisco isn't the bee's knees. Mm -hmm. Like, there's other things that are really cool. There's other places in the world, mm -hmm. yeah. Other stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's another one? Hmm. Um, I guess the ones that are coming to mind are so basic. Like, so the other one is just that, like, tech people don't dress well. And, like, mm. it's it's annoying. <laughs> it, it, annoy, it annoys you? It annoys me. Oh, okay. And I think it's, like, this fake sense of, like, I don't care. Like, you actually <laughs> do care because like, right. the entire sector is built on the back of FOMOism. Yeah, and yeah. And so it's just kind of, like, it's, like, uh... I guess it's one of those things where it's just own it. Like, yeah. be weird. Be like, that's who you cool. are. Yeah, instead yeah. of this, like, oh, I must be weird, but in a Googler sort of weird because that's the only weird that is acceptable. Right. It's just like, wear fancy dresses and heels if you want. Or, like, wear anything, but don't just wear what everybody else is wearing. Yeah, you don't have to have the carefully selected hooded sweatshirt that right? Zuckerberg wears. All birds in Patagonia, like yeah. so many other clothes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to hate on all birds too much, but um, they're a great brand. They're, I'm just saying they're. I, I think they're probably a great brand, a great great company. But for most people, I've noticed they don't fit like the foot very well. Like I don't know, it just I, I don't really get it either. <laughs> uh, sorry, all birds people who are listening. Uh, what's What's a favorite quote uh, that you just really enjoy or you live by? Uh, okay, I just got this um, pillow. Not just, I've had it for a while, but it's by Asada Shakur. Mm -hmm. And it says, the. it's essentially, like, the. I forget it verbatim, but essentially it says, like, if you're not going crazy, you're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And so I really love it because I think it allows you the freedom to feel a little 
crazy with mm-hmm. all the things that are going. If you all things that are going on in the news, all the things that are going on in society, all things that are going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it then allows you this emotion mm-hmm. to feel angry, which is kind of what I was saying before. Like it's a very motivating emotion mm-hmm. that I think a lot of times we suppress a lot because it's not socially acceptable emotion. And so I think that it's very inspiring to me to just remember that this is this is weird. Like this is not normal. Yeah. You know, a lot of what is happening is not normal. And mm-hmm. I don't need to make excuses for it. I don't need to normalize it. It it doesn't need to exist. Mm-hmm. And is there any anything in particular around like what's crazy or like so, well, I mean, is it around like injustice? Uh, uh, there's so much. Yeah. But today, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast. Do you listen to, um, oh man, I think it's called, one of our founders just sent it to me, and it's amazing. It's a WNYC podcast, and they're essentially profiling kids in Rikers. In New York. Uh, uh, ear, ear Hustle? No, that's no, the one the local here. really good. Okay. But it's a different one. It's a different one. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. It's, I think it, I'll send it to you afterwards. Okay. But, and I was listening to this one girl who just like, didn't have even steal anything. She was in prison for, three, jail for three years, waiting trial, and put in solitary confinement for a month on end. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, this is so disturbing. Yeah. And so just stuff like that, like it's actually happening. You actually do need to pay attention to it. You can't turn a blind eye, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and a lot of people don't want to face that reality because it's uncomfortable, or just because it doesn't affect them day to day, or they don't see it day to day. But that's that's a good quote. Um, Is there any influential book that you've read that you either give to people or that you just think of fondly? (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of one that I read recently so I actually read books for pleasure very less for like work or yeah, like sure. business sure it doesn't have to be non-fiction it could be okay. fiction okay yeah. so I was just listening to this I just read this book I also forget the name it's like some <laughs> winter's in the title okay. by Isabella Allende and okay. so she's from Chile mm. and she wrote this novel about these like three strangers who somehow you know those novels, they kind of always have the same story. It's like three <laughs> strangers, and they all just kind of ha- end up like li- co-mingled in some way because of one unfortunate event. Mm. And it's just, I love reading that book because mm. it's just like such a cool way to like remember that, like, I don't know, that people are complicated. Like mm. in that book, everyone's really complicated and mm. surprisingly so. And it was just a lot of fun to read. And then mm. there's another one that's actually on my desk and that one is, um, I think it's called We Are All Refugees. I forget, I don't actually remember what it's called. But essentially it's talking, it's a similar book in that it chronicles all these people from different parts of the world who are all refugees if mm-hmm. you just change what the under what the I guess description is the conventional description you would think re- defines a refugee and actually think of it more broadly as just like someone who is away from their home mm-hmm. and whatever that home is 
And so um, that one was really, really good to read too. Very cool. I'll check those out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I totally forgot that, all their names. That's that's fine. We can uh, <laughs> we can do that uh, and put them in the show notes cool. afterwards, cool. so people can find out. Um, how can people find you yeah. and your podcast? Yes. How do they get in touch? Well, you can read all my crazy thoughts on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm at SydneyPage10. And you can find my podcast on Twitter, too, at the Be About It Pod. And also, I try to keep my website somewhat up to date. And so my website's just www.sydneypagethomas.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank mm-hmm. you for being a personal inspiration for me and for this podcast. Aww. And uh, it's it was great to talk to you today. And uh, thanks for coming on. Aww, thanks for having me. It was right. so fun. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Epic Human Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you happen to be using. And if you want to keep up to date on the latest Epic Human Podcast, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Epic Human Pod. And if you have any ideas for guests or feedback on the show, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.